welcome to episode 264 of Pub Theology Live, recorded on site at the Wild Goose Festival in North Carolina. On today's show, we have the Reverend Shannon Weston, yours truly, Reverend Logan Holder. We are joined by first timer to our show, I think. Are you first timer to our show? I am. Special guest, Reverend Anna Galladay. Give her a round of applause. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. Uh, to engage with what's happening through a theological lens with a good, good brewing hand. So, Anna, welcome. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, because one of us would mess this up, so we're going to let you do it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I am, uh, as you said, um, a reverend in the United Methodist faith. Um, I am most uh, famously known to my fellow United Methodists as the one who got fired in 2018. Nice. Uh, for, you must have done something right. I did. I did everything right. I presided over a same-gender wedding, and oh. I'd do it again tomorrow. Um, yes. I, uh, I hail from Chattanooga, Tennessee, so I'm in the heart of the Bible Belt, which is always equal parts curious to me and exciting. Um, I feel like it's a really great place to ground my work. Um, I am a creative by heart in addition to being a pastor, and so I love the opportunity to kind of meld justice and uh, faith issues with creativity. I have a really fun, snarky t-shirt line that um, folks um, often lean into when they want to wear their uh, theology on their on their chest. And uh, it's called Bias and Bourbon, if anyone is interested in checking it out. And, and I believe there's a tent there right is, over there. There is a tent right time. over there. Shameless yeah. plug. Um, and I will... Um, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and I will... <laughs> And I will also say that um, I've, I've been uh, married to my partner for 26 years, um, and I have the world's greatest pit bull, and her name is Ruthie Bader. Nice. And she's pretty awesome, and she judges me every yeah. day. Nice. As she should. Awesome, As awesome. She should. Welcome, welcome. I know for some of you, this might be your first time meeting us, so we will also say a little bit about ourselves. Shannon, take it away. Um, I'm Shannon Weston. After 20 years as a um, parish minister in the PCUSA tradition, I left last fall and am a validated ministry as a leadership coach. And I'm also um, am a coach trainer with the Coach Approach Skill Training. And we'll soon be, by the time this podcast comes out, it will be announced that I will be a partner in part ownership of that training. What? So I'm very excited about this. Um, so if you're looking for leadership coaching, you know. Hook, uh, give me a call. Just, right. just Google my name. You'll find me. Google her. <laughs> um, in our script, uh, Shannon made sure to include that I specifically have a note to be brief. Long-time listeners of the show will appreciate apparently that. Apparently, <laughs> she thinks I talk too much. I feel like I could. She is not wrong, and I will talk too much as I introduce myself. I am Reverend Ogan Holder. I'm a unity-ordained minister. I am not a church pastor anymore. Um, I stepped out of church ministry in 2021. Um, I am the co-founder of a platform called Project Sanctus. You can find it online, projectsanctus.com. We do anti-racism education with uh, a, a special emphasis towards spiritual seekers and people in churches. Um, so you can check us out there. And I visited Anna's uh, tent shop today and bought some t-shirts so yes. I can attest... I can attest to the quality of the messaging on that shirt as well. I'm also a parent of a very, very, very wise, smart, snarky 22-year-old 
uh, who just graduated from college. So why are you looking at your watch? <laughs> I'm just getting warmed up. Uh, who just graduated from college. So uh, shout out to her. And um, I'd just like to say for the record, this podcast was my idea all those years ago. And they still won't let me be in charge. That's all I got. <laughs> and we have to shout out Brian, our usual uh, co-host who is with us, uh, who's usually with us. He is traipsing through Europe. doing. He's in Spain. Spain right now. Doing some walk of saints or some nonsense like that. I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, uh, we are, we are glad that Anna's here to fill in. We are for him. more than happy. I can't fill his shoes, but I'll at least talk as much as he does. There you go. <laughs> Which is Ho- very little. I was going to say, hopefully more. <laughs> hopefully more. <laughs> so today we'll be discussing baggage and to whom we belong, and maybe a little bit of Ted Lasso in there in the end. So, um, Anna is our guest. What are you drinking today? Do I open it like here? Yeah. I've never done this before. <laughs> it's a great sound, right? <laughs> oh, it's spilling. It's spilling. Get it, get it, get That's it. Right. I am drinking um, an amazing uh, ale from Highland Brewing, which is just down the road in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm drinking the Gaelic ale. Um, I'm a malt forward gal, and so this is one of my favorites. Great. Nice. Ogan, what are you drinking? Oh, I thought you were going next. Cause oh, you, want you wanted to me to go next because Ogan's had a few. Wow. So, <laughs> preparing for the show. I am, uh, I am drinking also from a couple hours from here, Southern Prines Brewing Company. This is their Hefeweizen unfiltered wheat. Um, so there's a little description. Refreshingly smooth and citrusy, this German-style Hefeweizen was brewed with wheat, grapefruit puree. See, I told you I can't read out loud. <laughs> And a touch of Cascade and Citra Hop. We don't know what these things are. We just read them off the cans. It's a fluffy texture, bready flavor, and mild notes of citrus with fruity esters, not the biblical kind, are sure to have you ready for warmer weather. Well, it is warm we, out we here. We are ready. Don't you love marketing, folks? I mean, <laughs> like. There you go. All right, Ogan, what haven't you drunk? Uh, well, I... <laughs> I've had one of those, and I can concur that it is it is citrusy, is it fluffy, also um, fluffy and bready. It, I've never had a bready beer, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't even know what I that have. means. Oh, what definitely. does that mean? It's having, having a it's bready beer. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, um, and then I had a white zombie white ale from Catawba Brewing in New Orleans, um, and now I'm on a full steam biscuit wheat. Is this an, is this local? No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it says from Durham. 100% North Carolina malt, it says. No story to the bear. So, yes, I did a little prepping for the show. When they say prepping, they mean read this the script. This is why we don't let of, him be in charge. They, they, say, they mean read the script and think of things. When I prep, I drink. So Ogan only drinks are. one week out of the month, so he's got to make up for it on there, that there's, there's that. I'm trying to wean myself off of alcohol by the time I turn 50. Um, I am 49. I know, right? How good do I look? So, yeah, trying to wean off. Uh, all right. Let us, let us jump in. What's our opener question here? On to today's topics. All right, y'all. So do you tend to under or overpack? And do you think how you pack your physical belongings for a trip has any correlations to the emotional baggage you carry? Mm. Oof. You want, you want it? I mean, I'll take it. Yeah. So, so, um, I am, I feel like I am an evolutionary being on this question. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, me too. I'm going to agree with that. I used to overpack all the time, 
all the time. I mean, there's no way I could fit anything into the amount that I was allotted. I was always overweight, always over, I mean, also me physically also <laughs> overweight, but the bag, I, I, the bag was <laughs> overweight. Um, I was always uh, trying to take more than I needed. And I think that I'm, I have definitely evolved in that way. Part of that is because I, I used to work in corporate America. I used to travel about 200 days a year, sometimes more than that. Um, I, I started to play a game with myself to see if I could go to Asia for two weeks and only take a carry on. Um, and the better I got at it, the more like excited I was to try to see if I could beat my own record. I will also say, however, that I do believe that my baggage is my baggage and my baggage is related. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a seven on the Enneagram, which means that I uh, want very much to feel all the amazing things and to be a part of all the amazing experiences. But if you want me to talk about the crappy feelings, I'm like, peace out. I'm like, not here for that. <laughs> and so I, I think the better I have gotten at packing, um, the better I have gotten at dealing with my emotional baggage. Uh, I will also say, like, I'm not great at, I'm not great at either. Mm. Mm. Okay. So I was a notorious overpacker. I maybe still am, but I, um, my life has gotten so busy that I can't. So I used to make lists and lists and like weeks ahead would think through. We also have four children. So there's a, like, there's a lot of thinking through as a, as a mother, um, in my relationship. Sorry, honey. Um, but like, there's a, like, I'm the one packing, you know, for everybody and, you know, um, so there's a little bit of that, but even before that, like I was, and now I'm just like, do I have enough underwear? Fine. We can deal with the rest. It's it's okay. You know, like, and I do think there's a correlation in, um, the emotional baggage of like my need to control and my need to like have enough, um, like, I have food security issues as well. So, like, I think that mm. those things were related. Sure. Like, do I have my stuff? And I will also say, like, just practically, like, as a bigger woman, there was mm-hmm. this, like, are I'm going to go places, and they may literally not have things I could buy that would fit me. Oh, for sure. Like, you I know. have been in Asia before and trying to find something to wear, and oh. even men's clothes, right. wow. like, are not big enough for me. So and there so, was, yeah. There was a lot of that <laughs> emotional yeah. baggage dealt, like, yeah. in that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I will also. I also think that there's a an element of privilege that comes with this conversation because I find that the more the leaner my husband and I pack, um, the more likely we are to also say, "Oh, like we'll just grab mm-hmm. it while we're there." Yeah. I mean, there's a privilege in that. There's yeah. a yeah. economic and a mobility privilege in being able to like fill in your own gaps if you forget something. True and that. I think that's often something that we forget as humans who, um, you know, can just, you know, Uber to a Walgreens if something goes sideways. Right. Right. Uh, there you go. Um, before you answer, if any of y'all want to jump in when I'm done, feel free to do that. Um, what's interesting is that I've been both the overpacker and the underpacker. I'm a hundred percent nomad right now. So that helps sort of take care of that. But what is always interesting is that there's always something that I need that I didn't pack. That has always happened 100% of the time. Interesting. And I think if I'm relating that to like my emotional feelings and baggage, it 
what that says to me and what I have experienced in life is that there's always something that hits me that I am not prepared for and that I don't know quite how to handle in the moment. I'm an Enneagram 9 mm-hmm. and I'm a Gemini. So I'm screwed both ways mm-hmm. in terms of like can't make up my mind about a thing and overthinking how other people are going to respond and how I'm going to fit in in the whole thing. Um, but I think what I've learned over the years, interestingly enough to that whole thing you just said about the privilege around, you know, of course we'll figure it out when we get there. Right. Is that's the approach I take to my emotions, right? I know that whatever comes up, I have within me, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the self-awareness, whether it's grace, whether it's whatever you want to call it, I know that I have it within me to make the best choices in the moment. So, you know, before, and I still am a bit of a freezer, you know, that, you know, flight, f- was it flight, fight, like freeze, freeze fawn. or fawn. Yeah. So in order, I was a freezer, then a fawner, then a flighter. And if I could have, and I mean, I don't, I don't fight. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> I mean, you're a nine, so <laughs> fighting is... Fight far from your vocabulary. That's not what we do. Yeah. Right. We, we, just because we, we I'm feeling left out, I'm an Enneagram 2. Which is why you pack which for everyone in your house. Right. 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 I, like, if I forgot <laughs> it, I was being unhelpful. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. 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 Everybody was, knows what your Enneagram type is. You know, we got some twos, we got some fours, threes, ones. I love a one. The five spoke out loud, everybody. Give them a round. That is true. That is true. He's a reformed five. He's a healed five. Heal in five. Well, <laughs> but again, what you said about like now I kind of have made this piece with like what I have, I have within me, you know, it, it, it brings us to our second question, which is diving into this quote by Dr. Brene Brown of um, so belonging is being part of something bigger than yourself, but it's also the courage to stand alone and to belong to yourself above all else. And so I'm just curious as we think about our roles as people in the church, as ministers, as people of faith in general, you know, does this definition of belonging ring true for you? And what would we add? What would we take away? And I'm curious really about how this definition can help the church see belonging, like as a value of beloved community to both be a member of a community and to stand alone, like how we do that well if we can possibly do that well. So the belonging question is really up for me right now. Again, as a nomad, I split my time between uh, the U.S. and when I'm in the U.S. during the summer months. I'm, I'm loosely D.C.-based, but I'm hopping all over the place. Um, and then there's time in Morocco, and then there's time in my home country of Barbados. So everywhere I go feels like home, and nowhere I go feels like home all at the same time. Right, so belonging, I'm finding, is becoming a bit of a struggle uh, for me as well. And I think part of why I jumped into this nomad experience was really to find myself, to belong to myself. Myself has always been defined by the people I'm in relationship with, whether it's romantic or not. Uh, The job that I do, especially as a pastor, you know, defined by the church and the congregants and the role in the church, all the things. So it, you know, this was one of kind of the blessings of COVID, which was like part of that great resignation or reassignment or 
whatever they call it. Um, and I decided, like, this nomad experience was about finding myself and who I really was as someone coming out of being a church pastor, like, kids going off to college, like, who am I not as a parent, like, all the things. Um, so there was a sense of really coming home to myself and finding that belonging in myself. But in doing so, or maybe the way I'm doing so, there's also an element of loneliness and isolationness to it. Um, and I think sometimes we can take that belonging to ourselves to a bit of an extreme mm -hmm. as well. We are, we are nothing without each other, right? Um, I, the, the first, the, the first line on all my dating profiles is connection is the real currency, right? So we can belong to ourselves, but unless we are in connection with each other, there is no belonging. I think there will always be a sense of I'm I'm a, I'm still alone in this. No matter how much of myself I've come to love, accept, and grow into. So there's a little bit of middle ground there because you also don't want to try to belong to others so much that you lose yourself and can't find right. yourself. Mm -hmm. So so for me, it's uh, when I when I read this quote, it's yeah, it it takes courage to stand alone and belong to yourself. But I don't want to be alone. Right. <laughs> right. It's the right. risk of relationship as well, right? The, yeah. the the first part of it to be part of each other takes the the risk. Yeah. And I also there's something you said about um, not just the isolation, but you know, we can take the standing alone too far. And and sometimes I see that happen with the, you know, um, someone who is often placed in an other category right mm -hmm. um and and then the conversation goes well that hasn't been my experience mm -hmm. as yeah, if like yeah. you yeah. know that's that ice that's that like well if it isn't my experience then it can't be anybody else's right. or it's wrong right and and that's where i think that standing alone can go really a lot of steps too far yeah yeah it feels a little bit like balancing on the blade of a knife for me because Standing alone and having the courage to do that often results in ego taking yeah. over. Um, belonging and, and allowing yourself to sink into community and to be a part of something that is greater than you are often leads to tribalism. Mm, and so yeah. we, we have this delicate balance of how are we, how are we our own people how are we God's people? How are we people together? And how do we allow our decision to be both things at the same time to not get in our way of kind of overrunning the hope that um, the creator had for us to be people in community together and, mm -hmm. and not then also outcast others that aren't like us. Uh, and so it's a really, th this question is, and this quote is really challenging for me, mm -hmm. especially as a church leader and someone who watches church leaders in real time, because the ego from the pulpit is a real thing. Yeah. And, and, the, and the tribalism that comes with church community is a real thing. And so how do we, how do we disentangle ourselves from that? And then also kind of understand that what, Brown is saying is is truly also a, a really good and solid way to be in the world. Yeah, and one of my questions about this um, as like belonging is being part of something bigger than yourself. I, 
I think, quite frankly, I've asked this question since being part of a church community of like, ha was that really belonging? Like, did I really feel mm -hmm. what I was supposed to be feeling from that community? Now, an ordain, I mean, ordain, ordination literally means to set apart, mm -hmm. right? So we are set apart. So we're <laughs> not belonging to right. that community. And that's a whole nother conversation. Right. But like, but I don't know that the people, I, I, one of the things that I really sitting with and wrestling with is like, you know, as, as we see church membership decline, and I don't mean just like roles, but like, you know, people are less and less identifying with church as a place of belonging. And I do have to ask the question is, did we ever, I mean, in the modern era, did we ever really do that well? Is that part of the disintegration? Is that we're mm -hmm. desperate to belong, mm -hmm. and we don't know how to do that in the church. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have to think that we have found, and, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, I know the communities that I am a part where I deeply belong. Yeah. Those are not church communities. Yeah. And so we have often tried to kind of put this square peg into a round hole and think that we can make church look and act and be like these other spaces where we have cultivated this great um, kind of both self-awareness and communal um, being together. And I, I think you're right. I think we haven't done it well. And I think we have tried to make church something that it possibly can't be mm. and also have not pushed it far enough, pushed church far enough to be something that it possibly could, could be. be. Right. Right. It's funny you say this because um, as we were getting ready, as we were waiting for this, came oh, across yeah. an article in NPR that said mega churches are getting even bigger as churches close across the country. In other words, the mega churches are growing. Everybody else sort of is not. Kind of sounds like the billionaires. Uh, right. Um, and what mega churches are known for, I don't know if anyone here attends a mega church, defined as 2,000 people or above um their value not their value but what they're known for is the entertainment factor the here's all the other things we will do that seem like quote-unquote like normal social things pizza parties uh, bowling parties all the all the regular well, they, they have small groups to create the right, atmosphere of, yeah, of that yeah, yeah. um and and insert like you know the theology the church element to it as well so it's, it's fascinating that, to your point, why, why do people show up to church, right? Is it for connection? Is it for community? Is it for learning about, you know, scripture and theology? Is it like, why do folks mm -hmm. show up? And for some folks, it's about belonging. I want to come mm -hmm. to a place where I feel like mm -hmm. I belong mm -hmm. and... It's so weird because I don't know that you can create a place where every single person right. feels like they belong because every single person has different needs. And then there are other folks who show up at church because they want one dedicated place where they feel confident that they can connect to the divine, which is a much more binary experience yeah. than the 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 community belonging experience that churches are so often, you know, wanting to create. Um, and so, yeah, I, the, 
It's it's yeah. It's a mess. Yeah, this is interesting because so our our next question actually starts with a quote from First Corinthians, and I I think we can follow that thread to this. So this is First Corinthians three four through six. Um, one says, "I belong to Paul." Another says, "I belong to Apollos." Does that not show you? Does that not? Sorry. See, y'all, I cannot you, read you, out loud. You want me to? You? No, I'm good. <laughs> Go for it. Does not that show you have the world of the spirit in this world? Yes, you read it. Okay. <laughs> sure. I knew we'd get here. All it's, right. It's, I mean, one beer, <laughs> half a beer versus three. Let's go. <laughs> Come on. He can do uh, it better. I promise. One says, I belong to Paul. No, Another says, <laughs> I belong to Apollos. Does not that show that you have the spirit of this world? See, it's awkward. It is. After all, <laughs> who is Apollos and who is Paul? We both work for God. You believed because of the work we did. The Lord gave each of us our work to do. I planted the seed. Apollos put water on the seed, but God made the seed grow. So the question is, like, are we looking for belonging in the wrong places? Like, do we, can we ever find true belonging to a thing of the world? And I'm going to add in it, which is like, and do, do church communities farm out belonging to God <laughs> rather than taking the responsibility of really doing the work themselves? Mm-hmm. So I think this is where the Brene Brown quote makes sense. I don't think we will ever find belonging in the world until we find belonging in ourselves. It's a it's it's a both it's a both and, right? We can't. If, and if, the and the self where the divine lives. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The yeah. big the big S self. Uh, I like to call it that divine self and the little S self, our selves. Um, I don't think if we keep looking for belonging in external places, we won't find it unless we have found ourselves. So we bring ourselves to those spaces. We bring ourselves and say, how can I show up in this space? What can I contribute to this space? You know, how can I make this space more space of belonging for others, more about giving than receiving? And in the giving, we we receive. But if we go into a space outside of ourselves, I think, looking for that sense of now I feel like I belong, I think we're always going to fall short if we don't know ourselves because we can be easily swayed. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a it's a... It's a both and. Mm-hmm. We've got to find ourselves. We've got to belong to ourselves. But ultimately, there won't be true fulfillment until then we can bring ourselves into other spaces. And I think this is where sort of church becomes, any space, but church especially, becomes a little tricky for folks when they walk into a church space not fully belonging to themselves and then mm. inevitably something yeah. will happen in that church that will disappoint them. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And they will feel betrayed, they'll feel shattered. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying churches don't do that sometimes, but unless there's that true s- sense of self that you can stand in and relate from, then you're going to be disappointed mm-hmm. because people disappoint. <laughs> you know, oh, go ahead. Okay. I, I mean, I, I just... Like I have a I have a problem with the word belonging also. Yeah. Like it's a possessive word. Right. It's mm. it's a word that evokes the possession of something. Like like some like somebody or something or some group is the group to which you belong. Like there and 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 I think that I feel like we have done a disservice to 
our capacity to identify what community really is, um, acts to kind of community, where, um, as the brilliant Reverend Tracy Blackman said earlier, you know, we are, um, you know, we we study together, but we don't always agree on what we study. Right. We, mm. we, you know, belong together, but we don't always agree in the things that we, you know, we, we, we worship together, but we don't always have the same ideals for what worship should look like. There was never a, 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 a proximity placed on kind of the level of closeness that you had to feel with that Acts 2 church. There was an assumption that there were going to be differences, and yet there was a commitment to community together. Um, and because of that, the word belonging feels a little, I don't know, it, 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 it just feels off to me. It feels as if it, it doesn't resonate in the same way that community does. Right. Or the implication that, like, if you don't belong to someone or something then you're lesser than correct right correct mm. like i'm i'm um I'll, I'll play brian for a minute and work <laughs> out my family issues on the show nice um go for it <laughs> but we you know we have a 15 year old who is very much in that space of like the autonomy right of of struggling with well i belong to the family unit but now I'm trying to be myself, and what does that mean? And in that, that, that awkward space where, like, well, you're still under our roof, which comes with some protections, sure. but also you're trying to be figure out who you are as, a, as an individual, but also doing some behavior that, like, is clearly trying to get a partner, like a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, a person who... So, so I actually think this kind of natural process of like to whom mm -hmm. do I belong is being worked out in this age and as I'm listening to this conversation I'm like okay I've been naming it but as we're talking I'm like mm -hmm. oh that's what that's what she's seeking right this this but really who am I and and to ask a 15 year old to belong to themselves is a lot you uh, know to ask yeah. anyone <laughs> of any age yeah, yeah. but you know like that's going to take some time and as a parent to be patient in right. that waiting right. I mean I'm still waiting you know to really truly engage in that you know well, and I think that's sorry, where the language oh and just uh, uh -huh. just to like whereas me at 15 in the Southern Baptist you know whatever was like I belong to God that's my belonging yeah. you know and to kind of like strap that on you know is like I'm a Christian and I'm an evangelical Christian and it it, it was that same seeking mm -hmm. and I sought mm -hmm. love in all the wrong places right sure, like sure. that's I mean, that, that possessive nature and that possessive assumption that we had of God when we were in our youth, that, right. you know, God, we, were, we belonged to God, therefore God possessed us. Right. And, and, and what, did, what, what were the implications around that? Well, and how does that almost let us off the hook of exactly. how many more years did it take for me to kind of really find God? And I hate to use that language because I don't want to discount necessarily what I was feeling Not at that point. Not just finding God, finding ourselves. But, and finding God in me, even though I was like using that language, right. it wasn't real. That's yeah. hard language. There's not a lot of language around this that's easy. Right. <laughs> right. No, 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 there's not. But for me, belonging is, um, I never consider that belonging in terms of how you just defined it. Um, I like it. And and for me, belonging also has been where I feel comfortable, where I am seen, where I am accepted. If, if you don't see me and accept me just as I am, 
then I don't feel that sense of belonging. And if I'm not comfortable in spite of those things, then I don't feel like I belong. So I think it's, 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 a, it's a nice mashup of, of, of both. Do I accept myself in this space? Do you accept me in this space? Right. Um, and then it becomes that thing where we are always evolving. We're always changing. When I change, will you still see me and accept me? Yeah. When I change, will I still feel like I am at home here um, as well? And I think that's that's another element to it because, you know, you know, church churches can be very good at when you change and evolve right subtly letting you know that you do not belong here mm-hmm. yeah uh mm-hmm. any anymore mm-hmm. um so it's it's yeah it's, it's this ongoing journey and i think the places to which we belong change over time because we change over time right so you've actually just set up our next question perfectly it, i think i'm good at what i do it's like you're you read welcome. ahead which you're, i don't know welcome. i i'm not convinced you did. that was that was pure luck <laughs> it was a fluke <laughs> So Abeo Akuma'afe writes, when a crack appears in the mighty wall, the only thing scarier than letting it grow unbridled, the only thing more worrisome than allowing it to breathe is sealing it up. For the thesis of the crack is to call into question the form we've assumed, the nobilities we cherish, the stories we assume to be true. The crack is the monster's gift, a reminder that the fixity of the postures we take on often prove more dangerous than the threats we presume to withstand. So I'm wondering what does this quote evoke for you? What questions? But also in a world of like quick solutions and fixes and social media filters where we literally get rid of our cracks, you know, right? And and, and how are you doing? I'm fine. Everything's fine, you know. How do we allow these cracks of our lives to be embraced rather than denied? And how do we as a church not kick that out when that happens? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, so I would much prefer to talk about this as the church because talking about it as myself, my seven can't do that. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, so I, uh, a very, very short story. I had the opportunity yesterday to help facilitate the Lead Now cohort here mm-hmm. at the Wild Goose, which is, um, and there are some folks in the in the audience with us today that were part of that, um, all uh, either seminarians or first call pastors. Nice. And um, my role in that facilitation was I helped kind of lead a futures workshop. So a mm. sh- workshop on futuring and, and what does it look like to not just do a strategic plan for the church that's 10 years in advance, but what does it actually look like to look at our world in 2070 And the things that we already know are going to be affecting us, like we know for certain that the polar ice caps will virtually be gone in 2070. We know that AI will have a radical role in our world. And so questions like that, that we normally would never call churchy questions, have to be questions that we as church people, and especially we as church leaders, are asking of ourselves as we plan for what's next. I think, as I, as I think about this um, Okomolafe quote, quote, I am, I mean, that crack is the crack I see, that fissure is the, the fissure I see in the capital C church right now. Yeah. We are doing everything we can to pour concrete and to repair and to, and to build up the wall where that crack is in the church instead of allowing that crack to expose the things 
that truly are broken and need mm-hmm. to disintegrate yes. so that we can either rebuild the wall or scrap the wall altogether right. and decide to move away from someplace where a wall has to hold something up. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like... I feel like Bayou in this, qu- I mean, and I, I shared with you all earlier, this quote has been like on, like in my being for the last five or six days and I can't rid myself of it. And yes, it, there are personal things about that. Like what are the cracks in me that I'm, you know, trying to patch instead of allowing to break open. Yeah. But I think as we talk about the church, I mean, we are watching that happen in real time mm-hmm. and we are on the precipice of the collapse. Yep. So then the the response to that is what do we do with the pieces right. that have that have fallen from that crack um do we try to rebuild with them god i hope not yeah versus yeah. do we you know kind of sh- shatter them for new material that can then be transformed into something else or again walk away from that material altogether yeah yeah two like two things came to mind when I was thinking about this as one, the Leonard Cohen, like the crack is where the light gets in. Right. right? And like, (laughs) what's God trying to shine on (laughs) that we're keep trying to patch the wall up. But, and then two is, you know, I've, I've used for years, right. The Easter sermon is these pictures of trees growing out of um, bricks or whatever of like life finds a way. But when we have to actually say, Oh, there's a big hole in this maybe let's explore why and how and rather that we try to patch it up. And that tree is trying to exist in two different worlds. Exactly. Why? Right. Why? Why did the tree seek the other side of the wall versus the wall, the side There's of the so wall? There's so much more which, fertile I mean, ground yeah, out like, there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, like the parable of the sower said, you know, sometimes seed just ends up where it ends up. Sometimes. Right. You know, we just scatter it. But, but you name some future things and I'm thinking like we still grappling with the last big crack, COVID. Right. Like COVID, COVID really did a thing for church. Mm -hmm. Like it, you know, it it forced churches to do the one thing they never wanted to do, which was like, oh, we're going to become an online community. Right. Right? COVID exposed so many of the things in churches that weren't working well. And what were some churches reactions? We will do what we need to do to survive. And as soon as we can, we get back together and get back to what it was. And some have adapted and, and. um, created a whole new ways of being coming out of that. Um, I think, I think how churches responded to the pandemic is a good indicator of how they are going to be in the future when all those things you were talking about are are rolling out. So, so we don't we don't we don't have to go far to to look to see how adaptable we we were as people right. and, and our and our comfort level with change and, and, and adapting and, and growing and the meaning we assign to things because the meaning we assign is going to determine what, what we do with it. Absolutely. You know, and how many of us take that time to really assess that and then how many of us take the time to be in the discomfort of I'm just going to wait till I figure out what that meaning is or what I determine that meaning is because I, you know, my thing is the meaning of anything is what we give to it. But we always want to rush to assign a meaning, give it a meaning. And usually the meaning we give it is the thing that makes us feel the most comfortable. When to the point you both are making, it's like, no, get out of your 
comfort zone. And the other image that comes to me is, uh, you know, the Japanese craft of filling those cracks with with gold. Exactly. So um, what are we going to repair the cracks with if the cracks are repairable, reparable? How do you pronounce that word? I don't know. Third beer and... I think it's both. Let's go with both. Repairable, reparable. Is it reparable? Or are we trying to force a repair? Mm -hmm. When to your point, it's like, yeah... We're going to take this thing that's all cracked apart, and now we're going to make them pave in stones. Like a whole different mm-hmm. right. thing right. As, as well. Yeah. yeah. So we want to take um, a minute to let um, any of you here into the conversation. Um, so we're going to, as I was scrolling through and we were thinking about belonging, the scene from Ted Lasso keeps coming up on my social media that may be the algorithm that I'm in. So like It's just, definitely you know. your algorithm. Anyway, but it's the you know, the dartboard scene and he uses that quote. So we're not here to talk about Ted Lasso. I'd love to talk about Ted Lasso, but like that's not what we're doing. But it's um, the Walt Whitman quote of um, be curious, not judgmental. And I so I'd love to hear that that is really that quote has kind of had a resurgence and really resonated with people especially i i do think in our american day and age specifically but worldly as well and so i'm wondering if any of you you know had that moment of like hearing that quote or maybe for the first time maybe again and really resonating with it in a new way and what kind of that can do for belonging and also for our belonging in the church so feel free to jump in um if anybody has any thoughts on that I'll also give you a second because, you know, not everybody thinks like I do. Yeah, I mean, I will say I, I began to shift my language around um, uh, kind of the interrogation of things six mm. or seven years ago um, with the I, I, I'm friends with um, Roberto Che Espinosa and um, Rob often would would kind of redirect me into curiosity yeah. um, versus um, into um, uh, like e- even, even, even in like contentious conversations. Um, like that makes me feel a certain way that like, why would you do that instead of why would, um, you know, what if you framed the question with, I'm curious about the posture you're taking here. Or I'm curious about your reasoning for wanting this. And curiosity really does have a, um, a kind of a brilliant place in our imaginative politic. It really should be the thing that we're leading with. Um, I'm always interested in, specifically with this quote, um, the juxtaposition between curious and judgment. judgment yeah. Like, um, at, at, like at what point do have those things become opposites or mm. have become? Like the yin and yang of like it 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 is it has always been, I mean I'm a t- huge Ted Lasso fan and I heard that quote and I've watched the series several times and every time I hear it I'm like, like I don't know if I would use those two words together, mm. but you know, I don't know. See that's it and and I I thought that too I was like oh is it's you know it's like the opposite of love isn't hate it's indifference you know that mm-hmm. and I've thought about those a lot. And as a and as a coach, like that's actually we use these two words together. Like it's not my job as a coach to judge your decision or your thought process, but to be curious about it and oh, to kind fair. of yeah, open yeah. it up and dissect it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in that way, I do understand it, but I don't know that they're 
like opposites, yeah. right? But I, that part I do see together. Yeah. Um, them relate. I think they're relational. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Charles, did you want to jump in? Well, not judging, but curious. <laughs> Go, going back to the first question about belonging to something greater than yourself. Yeah. So I'm curious as to why all three of you immediately went to a community as a specific group, a p- group of specific people as opposed to all the other options of things that are greater than us. Mm-hmm. When you say other options, like, what do you... Like a people. Like a people, humanity, humanity creation. creation. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, have so, you... Have so you the you examples given just for the mic were people, creation, yeah. humanity. humanity. Um, I mean, have you met humans? I'm not, I'm not a big fan. Well, I, I think I'm what you saying. saw is our bias, right? Like our yeah. bias yeah, to yeah, yeah. run to yeah. community first. No offense to anyone sitting here. Just to put that. But, but humans, man. Woo! Humans are tricky people. And, and I say that as one of them, right? Because, sorry, he's coming back. That's, also, that's why I'm making the distinction between mm-hmm. a group of humans, right. community, yeah. or belonging to humanity. Okay. I'm saying it's, it's interesting that, that the default for all three of you was... A, a group of humans. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I think, uh, so right away, my response would be, a group of humans is how we experience humanity. Humanity is a very, like, abstract, vague term. And humanity is not a monolith. Mm-hmm. Because there are a lot of humans on in humanity that I have no interest in connecting with. I'd just be... Pl- Back to the last thing you said, I judge them highly. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm still, like, I mean, right. I judge... You know, all the time. I just exactly. I'm trying to train myself to be more curious because, and I and I'll name this like specifically as a white woman. Like it's kind of the thing we have is judgment, right? We judge everybody. That's kind of how we get our power. At least that's how what I was kind of mm-hmm. taught. I saw my foremothers like that's how they got power right. in a in a world where they were asked to be submissive and there was patriarchy and like sure. they got it through judgment. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I mean. There, there are some humans I, I'm not curious about. Like, mm-hmm. as a black person, the ones who want to oppress me and tell me I'm, I don't have, you know, I, who I am is uh, immediately open to suspect. I am not curious about you at all. I, I, I don't want to interact with you. Why I, are you I'm looking just, at me, Ogan? I'm just... <laughs> because you're here. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I also, uh, think, I also think that we are... Um, so, I mean, I come at this from a, a, a Christian perspective, which I understand for some may be problematic, but um, I believe it was the intention, and I believe, not just, I mean, I, like in my bones, I believe, it was the intention of my creator to have us be humans who interact with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, when the first human was created, another was brought to bear for the purpose of connection for the purpose of companionship, for the purpose of kind of being in the world together and doing life together. Now, there's a whole, there's a lot there to unpack and you can go in a lot of different directions, but you know, there is something to be said for the way we are when we are with one another. I mean, if I thought about my ideal day, I would be spending it probably with a beer and an ice cream cone at a dog park. I wouldn't care if there were a bunch of humans around. I would want to just hang out with those dogs and, you know, things that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't do that forever. 
Yeah. I, I can find joy in it for that day. But I need, and I think we all need and desire a point of human connectivity, mm-hmm. um, even if we then also belong ourselves or allow ourselves to belong to creation, to um, you know the the place or the neighborhood in which we find ourselves. Uh, I, I it just it um, I appreciate the question, and also I think that. Um, because of the way we are made, we are made to be with and for one another. You know, and it's interesting. It has me thinking about like this judgmental piece of like, I don't, I don't judge nature. I don't judge creation for, for um, working its way through the crack of cement, right? Like, I don't judge that. That's I, I judge dogs and cats. Well, I judge especially, my cat. Especially I'll, I'll cats. Admit. We can't yeah, be friends good. anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, but I don't, I don't. Judge trees for growing. Right. I don't. I don't. But I get you don't curious. judge a thunderstorm for popping up and like raining a because, birthday party out because it, it, trees. It your attitude. I think because trees don't harm us. Well, and and I know. think that's that's part neither of do this dogs too. or cats for the record. Thank you. You're welcome. But that's also our fault for. This is where I get all Calvinist of like this is <laughs> this is humanity's fault for you know getting them domestic and blah blah blah. Anyway, whatever. Anyway. But but I I think that's a curious correlation there mm-hmm. that like. The belonging piece, we have to work hard at community because there is this judgment piece to it, right? And so we feel rejected, mm-hmm. but we also reject. Yes. And sometimes that's perfectly okay. It's perfectly okay. Right? And necessary. <laughs> and necessary yes. to be, you know, to be your courageous courageous self, yeah. right? And at the same time, like, I don't, there's there's not the same judgment. That's, this is where the judgment curiosity separate very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Yes, ma'am. Uh, last, last one. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so, for me, it's not belonging; it's alignment. Mm-hmm. I, I had to align with my authentic truth, and that was the first thing I had to do. I wanted to belong to God, I think, early on, but then I realized I was already in alignment. Yeah. If I believed that I was created by God and I have the breath of divinity within me which is a theological warfare, but I believe that, and therefore I don't need to belong to you. I am already made in your image, and I'm a part of you. I just have to align what I am to creator and what creator is to me. And so my journey has been to step into my authenticity, to claim who I am in God's image, and then just fulfill whatever ministry I'm supposed to fulfill. And I do love dogs and cats, (laughs) <laughs> and beer and ice cream, but not together. But anyway, that's you and I'm me. <laughs> You've never had a beer float? Oh, come on. Beer floats are a thing. I, I couldn't do root beer floats. It made me <laughs> nauseous. <laughs> well, but Midge, you bring up a really good point, which is that belonging to God from our quote doesn't just go one way. It goes both ways. And that we have to do the work in that process. So I really appreciate that, the way you phrase that. Thank and, you. And what's interesting is that, yes, thank you, is that I'm thinking of as I have evolved and changed my belonging to myself, how I understand God has changed. God has yes, changed exactly. as my understanding of myself yeah, has changed, right. as my understanding of other people have changed. Cause yeah. Um, I grew up very evangelical, very homophobic, very all the all the isms things. And as my sense of self has changed around that, then my sense of God and 
my expanded self of God has changed. So it comes back to that is, you know, not to not to throw to throw at a thing that will get us on a whole other discussion, but but is is God a constant or is basically God simply always a reflection of our own evolution? Mm-hmm. And where and what do we do with that? Because we many of us want the certainty of God is fill in the blank. And I'm like, yeah, God is, and we just leave that empty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's part of that two way street. Exactly, right? exactly what she said. Is saying. that yeah, like yeah. we're you know, we're just looking at this as a top down, but it's got it's a continuous conversation. It is a swirl of a beautiful beer float. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> which which some will find repulsive, right? <laughs> right. God and then we get curious about that. And God has always been that big, but we finally came into alignment with God's intention. Both and maybe. I don't know. I don't I don't I don't think there's I where where I am is the more the more I think I know about God, the more I realize the less I know. <laughs> right? So I've basically given up trying to know God. So on that note, on that note, <laughs> thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. You can show support for your um, for the show by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Yay! You can get access to pre and post show banter and more. Visit Patreon.com/slash/PTLive to get started. And a big thank you to our current patrons, some of whom are here. Listen I'm, anytime. On I was going to say a big thank you to the fans who are here to today. The fans who are here. Thank you, thank you, and our live recording. There are uh, pint glasses and beer left if you'd like some. You can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to start a pub theology gathering in your town, you can find support and resources at pubtheology.com. And a big thank you to our special guest, Anna. Woo! A big thank you to Charles for having us back and producing the Goose Cast Tent. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those comments.